week as I've been kind of contemplating the idea of freedom, which is where we're going to spend some of our time today. Maybe a precursor to something we do in the fall. I'm not sure yet. But man, God has just really been pressing on me the idea of Christian liberty. What that means and what that looks like and why that's so valuable in our life. You know, and especially before we even get into the word, we're going to have a moment of prayer and just pray for our nation Pray for people who are hurting, praying for people who are, who are afraid, pay, praying for people that are, are not at war against each other, but at war against the enemy, at war against sin, at war against all the things that are brought before us. You know, it's, it's a tragedy that we live in a world of so much just fear, you know, and as we, as people, as Christians, we would not neglect to see and to empathize and even sympathize with the hurt and the difficulties of people who are different than us or people who are experiencing pain in different ways than we are. You know, that we would be leaning into those pains, that we would not try to make excuses for those pains. We would not try to, try to say that it's unwarranted or that it's not necessary, but that we as a people would lean into each other as believers, leaning into the spaces where others among us are hurting, whether white, black, Asian, whatever it may be, that there are people among us who are hurting and that we would be leaning into that with them as believers. That is more than trying to stand for political backings. This is not a, uh, we're not talking about what sides of the coin we're on or whatever that might be. Because there's only one coin and there's only one side as a believer and it's in Jesus. And we're all united by the spirit of God. And that when one hurts, we all hurt. And so I pray that we could feel that hurt with each other this morning. As we talk about what it means to live and walk in Christian liberty, this is the most important thing that I think we have to understand. And why Paul would write this letter to help these people understand you are missing so much and that the people around you are missing experiencing so much because you choose not to walk in Christian liberty I pray this morning that that's what we would hear and that as we look through the lenses of the hurt that our nation and in our world is experiencing that we could step into those spaces with the Christian liberty that we've been given as believers and give that off to the people who desperately needed, who need Christian liberty lived out among them, who need Christians loving and living in the midst of them. And so let's pray for, for that this morning together. Wherever you are this morning, as we get, we're going to be in the book of Galatians chapter 2. As you turn there, as you get there, I want us to pray that we would hear specifically from God on the place of me as an individual living and walking in Christian liberty in my life. Let's live in that, and let's pray for that this morning. Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for the word of truth that you've given to us. God, that as we'll read this morning, is no respecter of persons. God shows no partiality. He does not care who we are, where we're from, what the color of our skin is, but he tells us that we are justified and have freedom in him. And it's through that truth, God, that I pray that we would be rallied not only around your word and around the goodness of God, but God, be rallied with each other rallied around each other. God, leaning into each other's hurts. God, praying for our brothers and sisters around the world who are hurting God. God, I pray, I pray none of us would be blinded by privilege. God, I pray that none of us would be blinded by anything that's come against us or God, anything that may be muddying up our view of other people. God, help us to be concerned for people. God, not making excuses to be distant from them. 
God, help us see the hurt of our African-American brothers and sisters around us. God, help us see the hurt of those who are just, just, just in, in fearful, God, warranted fearfully. And God, I pray that we as a people, as a group of Christians gathered together under one body would be mindful of each other, loving each other, leaning into each other, the hurt that we're all experiencing and that those brothers and sisters around us specifically are experiencing. God, let us, let us lean into that. Lord, and let it be from our Christian liberty that that work is done. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church Galatians 2. I believe it's one of the most important passages of Scripture in this text. The book of Galatians is just such an amazing book written to a group of people that are just just confused, that are fearful, that have so many different ideas flooding into their space. And Paul writes this letter to bring them down to, to this point, to this understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do among them and what Jesus has inspired Paul to step into that space to do among them. You know, and what we'll recognize is, is the, in this letter, one of the greatest struggles and hindrances to our Christian life is enjoying and living in true Christian liberty. And that's why Paul writes this letter in this part to communicate the idea of Christian liberty to these people and why they need to know it. And so I think there's two things that fight against us walking in Christian liberty, and then there's one thing that re- re- will reveal to us the solution to the, the hindrances and the things holding us back from walking in our Christian liberty. And some of these things we've touched on before, but I just want to speak of them in the context of this scripture and speak of it even in the context of what's going on in our world today. We can't neglect to act like things aren't going on. We have to be mindful of those things. We need to be actively praying in the midst of those things. And, uh, and, and this, I think this text, it will bring us some, some push or some encouragement to be walking in Christian liberty and allowing that to flow out from among us as we navigate our life. And so there's two things that I believe hinder our Christian liberty. And one of those things this morning is that we are captive to comparison. We are captives to comparison. And in Galatians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, Paul begins to speak of, as he, uh, you know, he, he spoke of in the beginning of Galatians, he speaks of his life. He speaks of, uh, he shares his testimony of coming to know Christ, that Christ came and met him on the road to Damascus and everything God did with him and kind of challenging him to go to the Gentiles. Well, then it says, it says at the beginning of this chapter, in chapter 2, 14 years, after 14 years, he went up and he came in contact with the apostles and all kind of the leaders of the church. And so this is what Paul says in the midst of that time as we speak of the idea of comparison in verse 6 through 8. He says this. He says, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised or the Gentiles or anybody who is not a Jew, said, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised or to the Jews, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to be circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And so what we have to understand about this text is Paul is not calling, he is not saying this from this place of dishonor. He's not saying this place where he's stripping the leadership of their uh, of their place 
place uh, of their importance. He's absolutely not doing that. But he made it very clear in the very beginning of this, in the beginning of this letter, where his influence, where his encouragement, and where his comparison lies. He says in verse 1 of Galatians 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So he says, when he's speaking this verse, he's saying, listen, I did not see these individuals as anything greater than me, which is significant for us because we have to understand that that's not the, the way that the religious world always functions, even in Christianity, that there are people we've elevated to certain places uh, in certain denominations that hold people to a standard or an expectation or the things that they say could potentially overrule certain things within the biblical context, and there can be extra biblical things added to certain things that are biblical. And so this still goes on today, but what Paul is making very clear in this verse, he says, listen, these people, they have added nothing to to me that God hasn't already begun doing in me. And so what Paul is saying is, is, I'm not stepping into the space comparing myself to them. He said, listen, God's given me a ministry that is different than the ministry he gave Peter. He said he gave Peter a ministry to a certain people. He gave me a ministry to a certain people. But he makes it very clear. He says that the God, the gospel, the spirit working through Peter is the same God working through me. You know, in, in stepping into this text, Paul could have approached that in a very different way, and I'll get to why, what that looks like in our own personal lives. But Peter, knowing Peter, Peter had been a disciple for five years up to this point. P- uh, uh, Peter had been, or, or longer actually, uh, plus the 14 years. So Peter had been an apostle for 19 years uh, leading up to this point. And so Peter had walked with Jesus. Jesus had leaned into Peter and told him as they were talking about, uh, you know, Peter's place. He said, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As Peter says who Jesus is, kind of uh, revealing his faith, revealing his confidence in who who God is. And God, uh, Jesus uh, acknowledges Peter's faith and says on that type of faith I'll build my church. So Peter was there. Peter was leaning into who Jesus was. And Paul recognized that the system of God did not make him less qualified than these men you know these men were great men Peter was a great man but we know Peter failed right remember Peter Peter reacted in his emotion when he cut the ear off the guard who came to arrest Jesus remember Peter reacted in fear whenever he was challenged and who he uh, who he was in regards to who Jesus's followers were he said I don't know that man you know so Peter reacted in fear and even Peter himself in Acts 10 34 Peter says opened his mouth and said truly I understand that God shows no partiality that there is no man that is above any other man as far as understanding that the level playing field is our sin and our brokenness and that no human being is above that No human being goes without sin. No human being is flawless. He says every man is broken. And because of that, Paul would even say in 2 Corinthians, I think it's just a really cool uh, way that the ESV even says this. He says, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. Because, and he continues on in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 12, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. You know, I think a lot of us, the reason we're not stepping into uh, the, the work that God has called us to, kind of living in the Christian liberty of, of our service and, and navigating, whether that's within our families, in the context of the local church, or in our workplaces, is because we see other people, we compare ourselves immediately to the spiritual nature of them, or what they're doing, or how they're serving, or what, they're, what they say, or how they live, or how they act, and we immediately think to ourselves, there's no way I'm that, and because I'm not that, then I don't think that there's 
there's any place for me. I don't think that I can, I, I don't even think I can begin to lead my family the way so-and-so leads their family, so why even try? I'm not going to serve in the church in this capacity because I know that I can't do that or I can't do this. Uh, you know, I can't sing, so I, there's no other place for me. I can't preach, so there's no other place for me. I can't teach, so there's no other place for me. We compare ourselves to other people, and we immediately take ourselves off the table as far as being able to be used. We become a captive to comparison as we look at those around us, look at their, their abilities, look at what they've learned their knowledge, whatever it might be, and we begin to think that, that we're underqualified to an extent that, that we can't serve, that there's no place for me in that, and because we feel underqualified, uh, we, we miss a criti- something critical to the calling uh, of, of, of ourselves that God has made to us and what he has for us. And But Paul says, he says, for the God in Peter is the same God in me. And what's amazing about that is that Jesus would even communicate this same kind of idea in Matthew 20 when he begins to do an illustration on workers in a vineyard workers in a vineyard. And so he says that there are these workers that have been working and that they've, they have this expectation of wages to be paid. Well, about an hour before the work is done, another set of workers come into the vineyard and they begin to work. And so when the, 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 the boss begins to divvy out the payment, he gives everybody the same amount of payment. Those who have been working all day tirelessly and long and the ones who have only been there an hour, he gives them the exact same payments. And those who, uh, who had been paid uh, the same who had been working, they didn't feel like that was fair. But then the, the, the Jesus uses this as an illustration to say, he tells them, look, Everyone gets the same. He says, I don't care when you've come to the party. I don't care when you've become involved in it. I don't care how much skill or how much knowledge or what you've contributed to it. If you've joined up, then you get the same payment everybody else does. Jesus was constantly trying to level the playing field. We have to understand that Jesus was never creating spiritual hierarchies, that some people were above others, and that if you couldn't get to this level, then you had no purpose down in these levels. Where Jesus says, man, your work, even if it's an hour, You know, these workers in the vineyard, even if it's as little, it's maybe not as much as someone else's. He said, your labor is important. Your labor is is vital. Your your labor is critical to the development for these workers, to the development of this field. For, For us in the local church, your labor is critical to the development of the people around us and what we do and how we influence our community and how we love the people around us. You know, because what what we could in the midst of comparison, where we can get wrong is we look at ourselves too much. We look at our own gifts, we look at our own abilities, we look at our own talents, we look at our own knowledge. And in reality, if we're honest with ourselves, what happens is we become neutralized by this. And really what this is an expression of is this is an expression of pride. Because we tell ourselves, if I can't do it to the capacity I think I should be able to to do it, then I'm not going to do it at all. You know, I think this is where a lot of husbands, uh, in the context of families, just being honest, and I can say this because I've experienced in the context of families, the reason that we're not, you're not stepping into your families leading the way that you, you know you should or that you have the desire to even maybe is because you don't believe you can do it as well as your wife does. You don't believe you can do it as well as someone else does. So you said, if I can't do it to that capacity, then I'm not going to do it at all. I'm not perfect, so I can't lead them. I can't, I can't teach them. I don't have this knowledge, so I can't lead them in that way. But what we do within that is we begin robbing our families of what we could potentially contribute to that. We begin robbing our families because we've entered into it with this sense of pride to believe that, that the ability is on us, that the strength and knowledge is within us, that we have the capacity to pull it off, when in reality we don't, but God never expected that. I love David in Psalm 37, 5. He says, commit your way to the Lord. Commit the way that you do things. Give these things up to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will act. God's acting for our willingness 
God's acting for our willingness to stop comparing ourselves to other people, seeing that we're not like them or don't have the same gifts as they do or don't have the same contributions to be made. He says, trust him and he will act. Second Corinthians 10, 17, Paul would say, let no one who boasts, boast, uh, let the one who boasts, I'm sorry, boast in the Lord. That the, the thing that, we're, that we work from is not from within ourselves, but it's from within the Lord. We're leaning into the Lord. We're leaning into what he has for us. That my comparison, my aim, and my examples are in Christ. And I know if I commit myself to that, that even if I fall short, he will help me. He will sustain me. That in leading my family, that, that I fail, I fail. Look, we just drove back. Uh, we we had, were on vacation this week and drove back from Tennessee uh, yesterday. And I can tell you right now, 12 hours in a car, it will make you fail your family because you will lose your mind and act like a crazy person. And I promise you, I did that on this trip. And, 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 I, I, pray, and I, I, I pray that that would not be the regular in my life, that I would fail and, and lose in myself in a moment. But it, it's not based on me completing every task, you know, being the best, having all the knowledge. Man, I lean into the Lord. I lean into what he has for me. And what he does is he leads us, he sustains us through these moments and carries us to be the person. All he asks us to be, asks us to be is willing. The potential impact, the potential and the impact that you have, each individual here, the purpose that God has given you, the abilities that God has given you, they're different than someone else's. They don't have to be compared to someone else's. Your time, your talent, even your tithe, the finances that you give, they're vital. The time that you give, you know, and I've always said, I don't care how much you give. The importance is that we give because the $5 makes as much of a difference as the $500 does in the kingdom work of God as we're being willing and leaning into the work that he has for us. Because the reality is this, you can't live, you can't have life in Christ if you're trying to live someone else's life. Listen, we're not trying to be like everyone else. We're being mindful of what God has for us within the context of our family and within the local church, and we're stepping out in that, being confident and stepping out in that and what he has for us. Paul was called to minister to the Gentiles and pe the people that he hated at one time in his life. He, he would have been much more qualified to minister to the Jews because he grew up a Jew. He was the Jew of Jews. He, was, he, he killed it. He was elevated to a high status among the Jewish community, community. He knew those people. He knew why they did what they did. And he could have very easily been more effective in that capacity. But you know what God did? God took him from somewhere where he could have been very equipped and put him somewhere where he had no clue, even among a group of people that he hated. Listen, God's not concerned about your abilities. God's concerned about our willingness to step into the capacity because you're, nev you're never going to feel qualified. You're never going to feel good enough to lead your families, moms, dads, uh, husband, wives, you, you know, even you people in, in the midst of the context of your, your jobs or the relationships outside of this space. You're never going to feel qualified enough to have a spiritual conversation with somebody You're always because it's always going to be tainted by your own desires. It's always going to be tainted by the ideas and the thoughts of your own sin and your own struggles and your own failures. That's why God says everything that we do is not based on our own abilities or our own talents. It's about trusting in him and letting him act. Trusting in him and letting him act, creating that space for him to work. The second thing is not only can we be captives of, of comparison and comparing ourselves to each other, but also the second thing that can happen is we can be prisoners of our past that keep us from walking in Christian liberty. You know, Paul begins to share this interaction that he had with Peter, again with Peter, and, and, and we kind of shift in this moment with our focus to Peter in Galatians 2, verses 11 through 13. Let's read this together. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Cephas is Peter. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came 
talking about when the Jews came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party of the Jews. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So what we see here in this moment is that Peter calls out, uh, Paul calls out Peter, because Peter, being a Jew, is in this place, and he's eating with Gentiles, people who aren't Jews, people who aren't circumcised, people who aren't following the old law. Peter's eating and associating with these people, and by the old law, he shouldn't be associating with these people. And so what happens is whenever people from his past show up, Peter removes himself. He, he pulls back from them. He doesn't want to be associated with them all of a sudden because there's people from his past that have come and that are seeing him, and he's afraid that they're going to be thinking differently of him. They're, they're afraid that they're, he's afraid of what they're going to say. He's afraid of how they're going to act. You know, Gentiles were looked down on by the Jews. This is a pre-Jesus mindset. And so what happened? Peter fell back into his old life and his old mindset. Peter was a leader in the church, had been a leader, had walked with Jesus, had seen everything Jesus had to, had to do and to say, saw a risen Jesus. But he failed because in a moment of fear, he fell back into an old mindset. Listen, and this is a potential for all of us. This is a place, because we still walk in the flesh, this is a place that we could all find ourselves. And for a lot of us, we may be finding ourselves there more often than we'd like to admit, falling back into pre-Jesus mindsets, falling back into pre-Jesus attitudes, whether that's in how we're living or how we're dealing with other people, that we're falling back into an old mindset where we're separating ourselves. You know, and, and for, for Peter, you know, this happened because of fear. It happened because of fear. You know, and, and it happened for him specifically there because people from his past showed up. You know, and for us, that can happen maybe because of people from our past, but maybe it happens because of experiences from our past. Maybe it happens because of sin from our past that creeps, the ripple effect of some type of sin that still affects us, that still hurts us, that still uh, interacts with us and pulls us back from where we are and who we are. You know, the thing that we have to always understand is that our past will play a part in our future, but it doesn't have to dictate it. You know, our past will play a part, but it doesn't have to dictate it. You know, I know for a lot of us, and I know even me in my life, there are times where we try to fight away from our past. We try to move away from those things, to live differently, to act differently. You know, in, in some way, that old life, that old pre-Jesus mindset will find its way back in. It'll creep its way back in, especially when things from our past, whether it's sin, whether it's people, whether it's some kind of situation, creeps back in. You know, it's easy to fight your past when your past isn't around, but it, it always creeps back in. It's all because we live in this flesh, it's always going to find its way back in and falling. And, and the, the thing that we have to understand when we are prisoners of our past and we're not mindful of that, it can affect other people around us. We can't ever think that our sin is isolated. We can't ever think that the way we live is isolated and it doesn't have a ripple effect. Because Paul even says, he says, not only did it lead other Jewish Christians astray, by their hypocrisy, but it says he also led Barnabas, who was an apostle of the, uh, of the early Christian church, who was a leader of the other early Christian church. It says that Peter, Peter's actions led them away. Listen, we can't ever think that as, as big or as little as our place is amongst the people of God, that anything that we do does not have some type of effect on other people. Listen, everyone is leading someone. Everyone is, is, has an influence on someone. 
You know, for you moms and dads, you are influencers for your families. You are influencers for your babies. Everything you do is what they do. Every way that you act is how they act. You know, we can't ever think that the way that the people around us act is going to be isolated from who we are. It's always going to influence them. We always have to be mindful of that. We should always be challenged by the idea that there are people watching us. You know, so what is the fix? What is the defense? I love that Peter, uh, that Paul and Peter's relationships, uh, relationship allowed Paul to say to Peter straight up, hey, dude, you're being a hypocrite. You know, he even tells him later on in those verses, he says in verse 14, he says, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, meaning he's living separate from the law and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He's telling them, listen, what you're doing is not how you're living. You're, 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 you're doing something, saying something, communicating a message that is not the way that you say that you believe. But the fix for that, the fix for becoming prisoners of our past, and I think this is the beautiful nature of the local church, is that the fix for that is having someone in your life that will tell you, hey, look, this isn't right. The way you're living is not matching the way that you're saying. We desperately need that. Each and every single one of us needs someone in our life to lean in and say, hey, look, this isn't right. You know, and, and the, the reality of it is it has to be people who understand the gospel because Paul is a gospel preacher telling another gospel liver that you're not living according to the gospel. You're pulling people into false attitudes. You're pulling people into false truths. And so we have to have people, Christian believers in our lives that will lean into our lives and tell us when we're doing something wrong, when we're living hip hypocritically, when we're living in a way that doesn't match the gospel that we say that we believe in. We, we should have relationships outside of the Christian faith. I'm not saying all our, Christians, all our friends should only be Christians, but what I'm saying is the closest people to us, the people that, that, that believe the gospel around us should have the liberty within our relationships to tell us, hey, look, this isn't right. You know, and, and, and I believe that Paul truly had a heart for the people, and Paul truly had a heart for Peter, that he saw people being led away. That's why he wrote this, because he saw the people being led away by the hypocrisy of Peter, and he said, Peter, this isn't right. This isn't right. We need people in our lives to hold us accountable to our future, to move us away from our past. That's the only way we'll move away from our past is when we have people that will help us move towards our future. Ecclesiastes 4.12, a well-known verse says, Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and threefold cord is not quickly broken. They work through this together. And then the last thing, church, and then I'll be done. The last thing is that the key to this is understanding that freedom is in our faith. That freedom is in faith. You know, Paul begins to share the plan of freedom. That where Christian liberty really comes from. And that's what Paul is even referencing when he tells him that you're living, like a, you're living like a Gentile, but you're drawing the Gentiles to live like a Jew. Because what he's referencing is he's referencing the law. He's referencing the people's place underneath the law. 
You know, and this question would radiate through all of Scripture. Job 9, 2, he says, Truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be right before God? Because Christian freedom comes when we're right before God. When we're not right before God, we're constantly held under the weight of the wrath of God against sin, against the sinful nature. You know, God God is holy. God God is holy, and he will not look on. He, he cannot, uh, he cannot bur- in the presence of God, there is not sin, there is not brokenness. And so within our natural natural selves, we ask this same question as Job does. How can man be right before God? How can we be free? How can we be freed of the weight of our sin? How can we be free of the punishment of our sin? How can any of this be right so that I can live in Christian liberty? In Habakkuk 2.4, he tells us this. He says, behold, his soul is puffed up. Behold, within himself, he believes that he has it within himself to do what is right. But Habakkuk, the prophet, says this. He says, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. He tells us, and what Paul will begin to really communicate, is that our Christian liberty is not earned because of the work that we do. That our Christian liberty is gained through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.16 It says, yet we know that a person is not justified or made right before God by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He tells us, he says, no one is justified by works of the law. Then jumping down to verse 20 and 21, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Listen, the problem with us, the reason we're living in in comparison, the reason we're being prisoners of our past is because we have not truly stepped in or believed in Christ to have accomplished the work of freedom, accomplished the work of liberty in our lives because we are navigating living life based off of an old system that doesn't apply to us anymore, that was used to guide us in the right direction but was not meant to justify us because by the law we are not justified. By the law of God that says the do's, all the do's and all the don'ts, we fail you know and and I've heard someone say before well I keep all the Ten Commandments I I think I'm a pretty good person well let's just start at the beginning of it you know just start going down the list and and as you look at it you will find that we fail even failing in one it says we've fallen in all it says to hate is the same as murder. It says to look on with lust is the same to, have, to participate in the lustful action. It's, there is no way that we are good enough. There is no way that we accomplish it on our own. There is no work that we do underneath the law that gets us any closer to God or allows us to live in Christian freedom. You know, this is the first appearance of the word justified in Paul's writings per the, the order of how Scripture was written. But Paul tells us that the key to freedom is, is justification and by faith alone in Christ. The word justified, this basic Greek word, it tells, it describes a judge declaring an accused person not guilty and therefore innocent before the law. The thing we have to understand is that justification is an act. It's not a process. Justification isn't something that happens over the lifespan of your life. It isn't something that we're working towards. It's not something that we're trying to earn. Because even thinking about it in the context of a courtroom, When someone's guilty, there's guilty. They can't earn their way to not be guilty. 
when they've, made, when they've committed a, 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 a problem, when they've broken the law, they've broken the law, and that goes on their record, and nothing takes that away. And so by nature, by birth, the first time we did something aggressive or sinful, we immediately had a strike on our record. And it says by that one strike that the, the wages of that one strike is death or separation from a holy God. But Paul begins to tell us the way that we're justified and the way that he's telling Paul, uh, Peter, he says, Peter, the way you're living is teaching a different system. He says the system that God has given us, the system that Jesus has entrusted with us is not a system of works by the law, but it is a system of grace through faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross. That true Christian liberty does not begin until we have put faith in the work that Christ did on the cross and stopped trying to do the work on our own. Because listen, when we are in Christ, there's no reason to compare anymore because it's not I who live anymore, but it's Christ who lives through me. You know, and then uh, the way that we're not prisoners to our past anymore is because my future, my past, present, and future have been sealed by the work that Christ did on the cross for me. Colossians 2.14, he says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. On the cross, the mark of, of injustice that was marked against us was put on the cross and was dead and gone from then on, that there's nothing that could have affected us anymore through that. You know, and I love in this verse, in verse 19 of, of Galatians 2, he says, for, though, uh, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. When we are dead to something, that means that thing has no, no more effects on me. And so my failure to do the do's and not do the don'ts of my life don't hold any bearing on my freedom to walk in liberty that Christ has given me to step into the spaces that God has given me and do it confidently, to do it courageously, to lead my family the way I should regardless of my failure, but to step into that with confidence knowing that the record of debt against me, the record of debt that I've accumulated over the past week is not held against me anymore, but is dead and gone on the cross and that the law that would condemn me, I am dead to that law and it does not affect me, that I am not held down by that. Does that, does that give me reason to sin? Absolutely not. If we sin because of this reason, that we do not have the grace of God within us because the grace of God within us does not drive us to sin. The grace of God within us drives us to righteousness. It drives us to holiness. It drives us to do the things that God has called us to do, even in our failures and our missteps. The enemy is pulling me to my past. The enemy is pulling me to comparison. The enemy is pulling me to my sin. We find freedom in Christ. We find freedom in Jesus. And what I love about Galatians 2.20 is it uses a word in the past tense. And that word is that he loved us. That is a past tense word. He didn't say that he will love you whenever you get to that point. That when you have put faith in Christ, that you can understand, believe, and accept that he loved you long before the moment you put faith in him. That God loves us. That he has invited us into a Christian liberty that, uh, that is like no other. He has loved us. 1 Timothy 2.6, he says, Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. When we accept Christ into our lives, our old self, our worst enemy is put to death on the cross with Jesus. And that we have life in him. We have life in him. And then Romans 8.37, it says, No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Who loved us.
Martin Luther defined being a Christian as this. The definition of a Christian is a Christian is not somebody who has no sin, but somebody who God no longer holds or marks their sin against them because of faith in Christ. Church, the thing we have to understand is that the law says do. The law says do, 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 where grace says done. There is no need for comparison. Our past holds no bearing on our present or our future. You know, uh, last week I quoted Mark Twain, and this week I had another one. You know, Mark Twain says this, comparison is the death of joy. You know, and the thing that's keeping us from walking into our future, the thing that's keeping us from walking into what God has for us, is our ability to be missing that we have freedom in Christ. And in that freedom, we can do these things. We can begin serving. We can begin loving. We can begin growing. Freedom in Christ brings change, never chains. Freedom in Christ brings change to our life, never chains. Jesus does not bring chains to us. He brings change and freedom and ability to walk in the calling that he has for us. So, church, I pray that we would do that. I pray that if you have not put your faith in Christ to begin to live in that freedom, to begin to walk in that, that Christian liberty, to understand that we are not weighed down, we are not kept back because of the sin in our life or because of the mistakes that we're made, but we have an open door before us that is the grace of God that says that Jesus accomplished the work of the law by fulfilling its requirements on the cross and he has given us freedom to walk freely, to begin serving in our families, to begin serving in our local church, to begin growing as individuals in the grace of God and to begin to share that grace and to walk out into our communities that desperately need Christians living in Christian liberty. I want to say that one more time for us and then we're going to be done. Your world, the world in your household, the world around you, the world out there, the world in Washington, D.C., the world in Minneapolis, the world in De Quincey, Louisiana, needs Christians walking in Christian liberty, walking in Christian love, walking in Christian concern, walking in Christian compassion in the midst of them. Loving our neighbor as ourselves and glorifying God in the midst of it. We desperately, desperately need to be living in Christian liberty. And the world around us cannot wait for it. Start doing it today. Start doing it today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for the glory of your, your son Jesus. God, that he came and that he paid the penalty for our sin. God, that you gave us a way. You've opened the door for us to walk in Christian liberty. God, that you've opened the door for us to walk in freedom, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to glorify you in the midst of every situation. God, help us to see within our families, within our workplaces, within our relationships, God, that you have invited us to walk in the confidence of Christian liberty with grace and love and mercy and compassion. God, challenge us. God, don't let us be lazy. God, do not let us be lazy in our liberty, God, but let us live in our liberty. God, let us function in that liberty. God, let us not take your grace for granted, but God, let us live that out. God, we love you. God, we thank you and praise you, God. And I pray that if any have not put their faith in the work of Jesus on the cross to forgive them, to offer them the freedom that they desperately seek after, whether they realize it or not, God, I pray that today would be the day that they would put their faith in you, believe on you for justification, being made right in a moment, that it's not a process that they have to work towards, but it's a moment when they believe that justification happens and that they are deemed innocent before you because of Jesus Christ. Father God, do a work among people. God, do a work among your church here in De Quincey. God, let us be so much more than just a club of people that gathers together. God, let us be a movement in our community. God, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.